0: My name is Grant. I am a volunteer here at Downtown Community Church. Um, this morning, we are going to be talking about the resurrection. Sorry, I can't do two things at once. It's a great failure of mine. Um, all those college kids packed up their things and left, so now we can talk about grown-up stuff. Um, <laughs> We talk about the resurrection this morning. I know it's kind of a strange thing. Usually you save that for Easter, but uh, it's, it is truly such an important subject matter. Um, this is, ben does this thing where he calls one of his sermons, if you didn't hear anything else, and this is kind of my version of that, I guess. Um, if you will, please stand with me as we read God's word together. Uh, we'll be reading out of Romans 6 today. Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, So we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus." Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Thank you, guys. Can sit. This section that Paul uh, is writing in the book of Romans, it's kind of, the the book of Romans is an argument that he's making um, over time, we'll talk about it in a second, but uh, the reason that resurrection is so important is that resurrection, uh, honestly, is the central, most fundamental uh, thing that Christians believe. Um, In the Jewish faith, resurrection was kind of debated as to what it meant, as to Uh, whether or not it was even really going to happen, if it happened in a personal sense, if it happened in a national sense. There's a lot of debate over what resurrection was. Uh, When Christ resurrected from the dead, Christianity became founded on resurrection specifically. Um, we'll look at it in a second, but, or at the very end, but Romans ten nine says there are two things that you have to believe to be a Christian, and one of them is that you have to believe the resurrection. It is the fundamental, central, uh, single most important thing that Christians believe. So what we're gonna do this morning, the, the reason that Paul is writing this, the reason I wanted to talk about it, is because uh, we wanna talk about what does it mean? Why is it so important? What theological implications does the resurrection have for you and for me uh, as Christians? Resurrection is incredibly important. The other thing I want to talk about, the other reason I want to talk about it, is because uh, I don't think I'm out of line in saying this: resurrection is the most unbelievable thing that you believe. Um, Resurrection is pretty wild. When we became Christians, a lot of us kind of, you know, we're like, "Yeah, that seems pretty weird," but sure, I'm kind of down for whatever. And the nature of this is that I'm giving a sermon and not a lecture, so we're not going to go through proofs of why historically you should believe in the resurrection. Um, If you are interested in that, there's plenty of material written on it. N.T. Wright has a short 800-page book uh, that you can just breeze right through. Um, It's very phenomenal. We're not going to talk about that. We might hit on a couple of those things. Uh, But primarily what we want to talk about is the the theological significance of Christ's resurrection for you and for me as Christians, uh, as people who are united with Christ. Now, Paul writes the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is, uh, he would have been debating with people about theology, about who God is, about what, uh, what Christ has done for us. And Romans is when he finally writes that down and kind of disperses it throughout the church. Romans is called by some theologians uh, the fifth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and some people consider Romans the fifth gospel because whereas uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would look at historically what Jesus was teaching, what Jesus was doing, um, the work that Jesus did while he was on earth, what Romans is is it's talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and extrapolates that into the life of the Christian. It says, okay, well, how does his death affect us and how does his resurrection affect us as Christians? So it's entirely about Christ's ministry and how it affects us, so um, We're looking kind of in the middle of it. He's uh, said some stuff about sin and death already in the the previous five chapters of the book of Romans. Um, We're jumping in at chapter six, and what you need to know going into it, uh, well, we'll just go ahead and start, and then we'll talk about it in a second. Um, This first part that we're looking at is, is how we are united with Christ in his death. He starts and he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? This is something that we have probably, uh, at some point, asked ourselves. What Paul has just said in chapter 5 is a little inflammatory. It's a little, you know, when he said it, people would have been somewhere between scratching their heads saying, what do you mean by that? Uh, or maybe angrily throwing things at him and kicking him out. Um, what he said was, was that the purpose of the law was to increase transgression, Because the purpose of the law was to increase transgression. If you remember, we went through the book of Galatians. uh, Paul writes a lot about that uh, in the book of Galatians as well. Is that the law's entire purpose was literally just to show us that we're failures. It's just to show us how wretched we are, how sinful we are. That the law, the purpose of the law, was so that transgressions might increase. And then he says, because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So where sin exists, God's grace is even greater than that. And so then he jumps into this chapter, and chapters 6 and 7 are kind of this, uh, so Paul's making an argument, making an argument, and then chapter 6 is this weird, like, well, what about this? That um, doesn't really fit in the argument. It's, it's him making a note of questions that people have probably asked when he's teaching this. And what it is is, okay, well, if we understand what Paul has said at this point is that Our personal righteousness has nothing to do with our salvation, meaning that what I have to offer to God, what I have to offer to, to, you know, following the law, doing the right thing, all that, that has nothing to do with my salvation. And so the question then becomes, well then, if it has nothing to do with my salvation, then can't I just live however I want? Can't I just do anything that I want? Well, it it doesn't matter what I do because my personal righteousness has nothing to do with my salvation. It has nothing to do with my standing before God. And what he's going to do in the next 13 verses is, is explain, it doesn't mean that, you know, you just live however you want. There still is a way that you should live, and we'll explain why that is. But first, you have to note the very fact that he puts this question in there um, is very noteworthy. It's something that, that is, the implication of it, I think, is phenomenal. And that is, if you kind of go around to, loosely using the word Christians here, um, other Christian churches... They might suggest to you, especially in the South, um, they might suggest to you that, okay, yes, Christ has died for your sin, but it's also necessary that you do X, Y, and Z. You also gotta do this, you have to do that. You know, part of being a Christian is doing all of these things. But the very nature that this question is thrown into the Bible means that no, none of those things matter for your salvation. So much so that people are like, wait, if nothing that I do matters, then why can't I do whatever I want to do? It's a very big point that Paul is making here He says, what shall we say? Shall we just sin so that grace might increase? Should we just sin even more so that God's grace is even greater? And he says here in verse two, may it never be. How shall he who died to sin still live in it? And what he's going to do over the the course of this section is he's going to say, living in sin is contrary to who you are. It's the opposite of who you are, and that's why you don't. He's going to explain what that means. Uh, But a couple things. One is, well, what about if I don't feel like I'm dead to sin, right? That's a, that's a thing that a lot of us kind of experience. Is what if I don't feel like I'm dead to sin? Sin feels very alive in me sometimes. What if I don't feel like being obedient to God? What if it's just, it doesn't seem very real to me at times? Um, hold on to that question. We'll talk about it at the end. I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you if, you, if that's where you are. Um, the other question you might have is well, when did I die to sin? I don't remember that happening. That's not something that I have recollection of ever happening. Uh, He says here in verse three, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now baptism there, you know, we think of baptism, we think of, you know, the the dunking of the people. And um, baptism actually, what it it really means is it's, it's talking about being united with someone. So when we were united with Christ, we were also united into his death. That's what it's saying. Don't you know that when you were uh, baptized with Christ, you were baptized into his death? Maybe for a lot of you, you didn't know that. Maybe that's something that you've never really thought about. But what that means is when we became Christ's, part of what we inherited was his death on the cross. And so when we actually, when we practice baptism, when we, when we you know, bring the, the hot tub thing out and put the people in it, um, what we're doing is is it's a symbol of God's grace that's been extended to us. The practice of baptism is hearkening back to our actual baptism, our true baptism, the moment in which we were united with Christ and that his grace was extended to us. He says here in verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. He's saying that baptism, that us being united to Him, we were buried with Him. But then, when He raised from the dead, we too were raised, so that we might walk now in what He says is this newness of life. This newness of life, and we'll, we'll look at that in a second. Uh, but what happened here and, and what baptism is a symbol of and what, what Paul is writing here is for each and every one of us, we were in our sin. We were living in our sin. And we were, were running down this path to destruction. We were, we were, with all of our effort, all of our ability, we were living in the dominion of sin, right? So a lot of you, um, if you've ever battled with addiction or any kind of like real big sin in your life— You know, it's like you're enslaved to it. You can't overcome it. You can't beat it. You can't become the master of it. It's just bigger and greater than you are. And that's where we were. That's where uh, we were as the the before Christ part of our life. But because of God's grace, he took us and he took us out of our own death and placed us into his life, that we were baptized, we were united with Christ through his death and through his resurrection into the newness of life. That's why we celebrate baptism. That's why baptism is a great moment, regardless of how Christians practice it. It's because you're looking at it, and you're not just seeing, okay, this person's being baptized, so let's celebrate them. It's it's to even notice and and to grow in our own baptism, right? I was baptized as a kid. I don't remember it, but... um, When I see baptism, the reason that I celebrate is because it's it's me realizing, man, God's grace has been extended to all of us. I have experienced, as I've grown and grown and grown, how much God's grace has been extended to me. So when I see someone being baptized, I I, I think back to my baptism. I think back to, to the fact that there was a moment in which I was united with Christ through his death and through his life. And we're given this true life, this newness of life, as Paul says, this is in verse five, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So he says, if it's through his death that we have been united with Christ, or if we have been united with Christ in his death, then we're also united with Christ in his resurrection. It's an important distinguishing thing. This is something that I, I, we, we don't think about very often, and this is where the, the, the true theology of the death and the resurrection are so important is that through the death of Christ, we're united to something we call justification, which is salvation, essentially. That on the cross, when Jesus died, when Jesus uh, was, was being, our sin was being laid upon him, in that moment, we were pardoned of our sin. We were forgiven of our sin. That being united in Christ's crucifixion, now we have been forgiven of our sin. But the good news is it doesn't just stop there. It's not just that you've been forgiven of your sin. But when Jesus rises again on the third day, he does so because it shows to all of us, it reveals to all of us, he has overcome death. He has overcome sin. Not just that he paid the penalty of sin, but that he himself is greater than sin. He himself is over or able to overcome sin. And so if, what Paul is saying is, well, if you were united with him in his death and now you've been forgiven of sin, well, you're also united with him in his life, which means you are united with him in overcoming sin. For a lot of Christians, we live in the crucifixion mode and we don't live in the resurrection mode. We live in this, yeah, man, I'm forgiven, I'm good, like, it's okay. And we don't live in this, no, but I am overcoming sin, I am battling sin, I am through Christ being victorious over sin. Because that is what Christ did. We're united with Christ because of the work that he did, and his resurrection extends life into us. His death unites us to him in justification, but his resurrection unites us to him in sanctification, in becoming more like Christ. It says in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Um, first and foremost, that word knowing, uh, go ahead and hold on to that for a second. We're going to come back to it in a little bit. Um, but what it says is, is that, that when he died, when Jesus died, we died. And what does that mean? So I think for a lot of us, you kind of, you're like, okay, I get it. I understand, you know, when Jesus died, I died. When he resurrected, I resurrected. But like, what does that really mean? How, like, I don't feel like I actually died. I, don't, I still don't really kind of vibe with what you're saying. Well, here's a part of, of something that in our worldview as Christians, something you have to realize is when we talk about death, what we're not talking about is extinction. What we're talking about is separation. We talk about death. We're not talking about extinction. We're talking about separation. So when you die, it's not that you cease to exist. It's that you are separated from your body. Your soul is separated from your body. So what's going on here is when it says that we are dead to sin, it isn't saying that sin no longer exists in you. It says that sin is now separate from you. Romans 7 is all about, what about when I'm still sinning? What about when I'm a Christian and I'm still sinning? Sin does not cease to exist in you. It's just now separate from you. What that means is that you are not your sin. You aren't your addiction. You aren't your failure. You aren't your unrighteousness. You aren't your struggles. You aren't your past. You are Christ's. You've been separated from sin through the death. And although that sin still sometimes comes up within us, We are entirely separate from us. We don't need to find our identity in that because it's not part of who we are. We've been pardoned of that through Christ, through his death. It's not extinct from us, but it's separate from us. That's why he says in verse seven, for he who has died is freed from sin. If you've been united with Christ in his death, you are freed from sin. This next part, he talks about how we're we're united to Christ in his resurrection. He says in verse eight, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we shall live with him. Because he didn't just die, he also raised from the dead. So if we believe that we have died with Christ, if we're at the point now where we believe that, then we also believe that we live with Christ. So we don't sin because it's contrary to who we are now. We were once in sin. We were once living in sin. We were once living in the dominion of sin. Sin was master over us. But what happened is, is Christ came and he died to sin and he removed us. He killed us in our, our sin. That, that our, we were died to our sin. And now we are brought to life living in Christ's dominion. Now no longer under the dominion of sin, but now under the dominion of Christ. And it says that Christ, in this next verse that we're gonna look at, says that Christ now lives to God. So we are now no longer dead in our sin but, uh, or living in our sin, but now we live to God because we're living in Christ's dominion now. You see, Christ's chief work on this earth, it wasn't to teach, it wasn't to heal, it wasn't to do uh, many of the things that we think are very valuable that he did do. His chief work on this earth was to pay the penalty of sin and overcome it. It was to die on the cross and to be resurrected. And if that is Christ's chief work and we are Christ's, then by the transitive property, our chief work is to overcome sin. It's to glorify the Father through, our, through Christ in overcoming sin. And so the reason we don't live in sin, the reason we don't continue to sense so that grace might abound, is because it's, the very, it's very contrary to who we are as being Christ's. This is here, verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. He's now the master over death. Again, that word knowing there, hold on to it for a second. He says in verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So he died for all of us and now he lives to God and so we too live to God. He says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider, hold on to it, we're gonna come back to it. But what he's saying here is consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ. Consider yourselves separated from sin, but united with Christ. Separated from sin, but united with Christ. Uh, these last three verses, he's going to talk about how we are, united, we are united to Christ in his righteousness. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as, uh, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so he's saying, don't continue to live on sin, or to continue to live in sin. Don't allow your body to be an instrument of unrighteousness, but instead... Uh, present yourselves as, a, as an instrument of righteousness. That word present there, um, it might say uh, to offer yourselves, your translation might say. Um, that word's very important. So you remember in verse, what is it, verses six and nine and 11 and 12 now. Hold on, my notes, I gotta get this all in order. Um, verses six and nine, he says, knowing this, you got to know this. Verse uh, 11, he says, consider this. In verse 12, he says, now present yourselves. And here's what it, it has to happen. This is the point of the argument. This is what Paul is teaching to us. He says, in order for us to, to understand uh, what is going on, in order for us to now live in Christ's righteousness, in order for us to, to really truly be able to overcome sin, there's kind of an order to us uh, growing in our faith. It starts with this. It starts with knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So it starts with us knowing that Christ died and that we are found in that death. It starts with understanding that. It starts with with truly believing that. That's where that's where you have to start in order to be able to overcome sin. Is you have to know that. That's something that you have to understand. It's something you have to believe. It's something that that takes time. It takes You know, it takes years for many Christians to get to this point where they can really say, you know what, I I really can see the the crucifixion and I see myself through faith. I see myself being crucified on the cross there with Jesus. He says again in verse nine. He says, knowing this. Um, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is no longer to die again and death is no longer master over him. So what you also have to understand is not just that that through the cross that we've died, but now that he is raised from the dead again. So it's it's knowing these things. It's understanding these things. It's understanding uh, the the practical nature of what these uh, do in the life of a Christian. It's to know that. After knowing that, after understanding that, after believing that, he says, well, now in verse 11, now you can consider yourself dead to sin. Now that you believe that, now that you know that, now that that's something that you say this is true, now you can consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God. Now that you can see yourself dead on the cross but being raised again through his resurrection, you can consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God. And then lastly, now that you, you know it, you believe it's true, you have considered it to yourself or you've reconciled it to yourself, now you can present yourselves or you can offer yourselves to God. What we do all the time as Christians is we do this exactly backwards. We say, you know what, I, I need to, you know, I'm, I've, there's sin in my life, there's, I'm struggling, there's stuff going on, and so the way that I am going to overcome this, the way that I'm going to defeat sin, is I'm going to offer myself. I'm just going to, I'm going to do so much, I'm going to serve, I'm going to really try to obey, I'm going to do everything I can, I'm going to, I'm going to be like the best Christian that there's ever been, and we try to offer ourselves without knowing and considering first. Paul's not saying do that and then maybe someday you'll feel like you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. He's saying, no, first you have to understand what Christ has done. First you have to understand how that affects you, how through faith we are put in those situations. Once you understand that, then you can consider that having been done to yourself. And through considering through time of of truly seeing yourself in that situation, then you can present yourselves as instruments of righteousness. Don't get it backwards. Don't try, to, don't try to do this very thing that, that where we're like trying to work our way into God's graces. We're trying to work our way into being loved by God. No, he loves us. He's done this for us. We just have to understand it, to believe it, to consider it to ourselves and to walk in it. Jesus says in, in John sixteen thirty three. he says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation but take courage I have overcome the world. We're in Christ's there's a promise that's given to us. He has overcome the world and we are found in him. We too can overcome sin. He says in verse 14 for sin shall not be master over you for you are not under law but under grace. We talked earlier about what if this doesn't feel real for me, right? Like what if I don't feel dead to sin? What if I don't feel like obeying? What if I don't feel like submitting myself to Jesus? There are are certainly times where all of us are that way, right? Romans 7 is very much so about that, about living that life. Um, What about when I don't feel like doing that? Because sometimes sin, sometimes temptation, it's very real. It feels more real and sometimes, sometimes that seems more true to who I am or to who my identity is. And I'll say this, uh, the Bible is filled with people who worshipped God despite not necessarily feeling like they should do that. Um, Abraham probably did not feel like sacrificing his son Isaac to God. Uh, e- Moses probably did not feel like leaving the luxury of, of Egypt and going into the wilderness filled with like, sand and cactuses and stuff like that. Um, Even Jesus, Jesus did not feel like going and paying the penalty of sin for all mankind. There's a lot of times in Christianity where we don't feel like doing what Christ has called us to. We don't feel like submitting ourselves to Christ. But what I have to say to you is, is we don't worship our feelings, we worship our God. And so yeah, you're not going to feel like it every time. But in that time, it's to realize, it's to know, it's to have considered, it's to present ourselves and say, Jesus, I know that you have separated me from this sin. I know that you have overcome this sin. And now I live to you. He says, uh, 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 he doesn't say this, I'm saying this, um, our our war with sin is already won in Christ. Christ. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta de- beat this thing, I gotta destroy this thing, I gotta overcome this, and no, that's when you're putting it in your own power, that's when you're trying to do it yourself. Our battle against sin has already been won in Jesus Christ. He has already separated us from sin. There's no reason to ever fall into that mentality of, of thinking that this is up to me, because Christ has already done it. That even in the depths of sin, even like when we have really, really failed, we have the faith of knowing, no, this isn't who I am, this, I am Christ's, I am not sin, I am not uh, this, this disobedience, I am loved by Christ. That his love uh, is not dependent on our actions. We know that because in, in Romans 5, 8, when he says that um, even while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. That our, his love for us is not dependent on our ability to obey him. His love for us exists regardless His death is about forgiving us of sin, and his resurrection is about subduing sin within us. It's about us overcoming sin. It's about us uh, being able to defeat sin. This is why, and this is kind of when we talk about the importance of the resurrection historically, like I said, the Jews uh, kind of had differing views on resurrection. If you remember reading the Gospels, perhaps, um, you had the Pharisees who did, bl- the, the, there's a split in the religion. The Pharisees did believe in resurrection, and the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. It's, they kind of had all sorts of different views about it. But once they saw Jesus resurrected, it changed everything, and it became the pinnacle of Christianity. It became the most important thing in Christianity. In Romans 10:9, Paul says that anyone who, uh, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Meaning that there are two elements to being a Christian. It's that you submit yourself to Jesus Christ and that you believe that he overcame death. That's it, right? We try to pretend like there's a lot of things you gotta do to be a Christian, and there are certainly things that you should as you're growing in your faith. But the two elements that are necessary for someone to be saved, as Paul writes in Romans 10 9, is submitting yourself to Jesus Christ and knowing that he raised from the dead. It changed Christianity seeing this man take on the penalty of of the crucifixion and then seeing him walk again, getting to talk to him again, seeing that he has overcome death. It changed Christianity. It became the pinnacle thing that Christians believed. early church believed some wild stuff. The one thing that they did not ever mess up on was resurrection. Every single church or every single early church said the resurrection is the thing that matters. And through the resurrection, through us being united to Christ, means that what is, what Christ's, or what Christ has is ours. What is Christ's is ours. His righteousness is ours. His relationship with God is ours. One of the coolest things about the resurrection, I think, this is the last thing I'll say, um, in Psalm 16. David is writing this prophetic thing about the Messiah, and he says, um, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. Um, what that means is you would never allow someone who is truly righteous, who is truly holy, who is truly perfect, you wouldn't allow them to stay dead forever. One of the coolest things about the resurrection is that God's justice is that he will not allow Jesus to stay dead forever. He was only dead for three days. Because he was holy, because he was perfect, because God had promised, I will not allow my Holy One to undergo decay. He was resurrected. When we inherit what is Christ, when we are united with Christ, we are united in that righteousness that we will not stay dead. That we have been given a newness of life. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of Christ's work in our life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the work that you've done. We thank you so much that you you died the death that we were unable to die, that you overcame sin in a way that we were unable to do, that you have freely extended that grace to us. Not just in the fact that we, are not just that we couldn't pay you back, Lord, but that we were still living in sin while you did it. Jesus, we pray that as, as we take these things and we work through these things and, and we spend time trying to know and trying to consider and trying to present ourselves to you, God, that you change our hearts, that you draw us near to you, and that we can follow your example in living to God. We thank you so much for your grace that's been given to us. We thank you so much for your compassion and your love that we can't even begin to understand, Jesus. We thank you so much for who you are. In your name, amen.